This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And welcome, welcome. Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you happen to be at this uh, lovely hour here in L.A. It's nice blue skies, a couple of clouds. And um, you're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber, your host for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio. It's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. We're here for you. We're here for your pets. We're here to answer any questions, to talk about anything you want pet-related. Anyway, so we're going to have some fun today. So, best way to get a hold of me, a couple of ways. Number one, uh, you can always join me by telephone. That's 877-385-8882. That's 877-385-8882. And so that is our toll-free number here at Pet Life Radio. You can also join us live here on Pet Life Radio, which is really a fun thing to do. And that is, you want to go on to PetLifeRadio.com, click on Shows, scroll down to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, and there will be a Zoom link left for you there. So it's really, really easy to get a hold of me. And uh, that way, we can join me here live on Instagram. We can have you live this way. You can text me questions, anything you want to talk about. That's great. But I can't do the share screen because uh, then you're in control of it. And other people say, wait a second, I, I kind of lose half my screen. I lose my ability to wave, which I like to do. And all of you that are joining me, thank you very much. So that's why it's probably better to just uh, ask you this way. Anyway, so as you know, I like to peruse what is going on in the veterinary news. And um, this week, by the way, and I know um, Mark, my producer, is going to be there as well. We're going to Global Pet Expo in Orlando. That is probably the nation's largest pet industry trade show. And um, a lot goes on there. And unlike times past, just like when we got back from the Western Veterinary Conference, which was packed solid, it was fantastic. And we're expecting the same out of Global. Last time, uh, Global wasn't that, wasn't that exciting. In fact, and Super Zoo, which is another, probably the second largest, that's in Las Vegas every July. That too wasn't that exciting. However, we're expecting a full show, a full program here at Global Pet Expo. Looking forward. And of course, next week, I will report to you as well. So um, anyway, what's going on? So this is something that, that all pet owners should be aware of. And it's interesting because I have to you know, preface this with something that happened to me, oh my God, 15 years ago here in LA. And that is, I had a dog that I diagnosed, it was a golden retriever, diagnosed with heartworm disease. This dog was born in, in LA, never left LA and was heartworm positive, which was very surprising because we don't typically have, back then it was very uncommon to have heartworm disease in dogs. Now it's getting any more so. We are seeing more and more mosquitoes and heartworm is being transmitted via bites of mosquitoes. So uh, anyway, it was surprising to the Southern California Heartworm Prevention Society. So they went out to visit the home and they noticed that the home was right near one of our largest cemeteries called Forest Lawn here in LA, right in the hills behind the studios, behind Burbank Studios, and beautiful lush grass, you know, just for, for going on for several acres. And it was just gorgeous. And they knew right away, oh, that's the problem. They lifted up some headstones. And under the headstones were hundreds of thousands of mosquito larvae. Why? Because they like that moist, humid temperature. They predicted then, this is, I guess, at 15, maybe even 20 years ago, that here in Southern California, we are going to have heartworm problems, much like the rest of the country. There is a species of mosquito that has adapted to our drier climates, and it was just a matter of time. Well, we are now seeing it. And I tell people, they say, well, Jeff, doc, should we start heartworm prevention? 
Actually, it really depends on, on your lifestyle and what you see around your home. Are you seeing a lot of mosquitoes? If you are, then absolutely yes. And here's the scenario. You're sitting out in the springtime, 7 p.m., still light out, beautiful weather. You're reading, you're doing whatever. How many mosquitoes are you swatting? And I would say, well, it used to be for me, none. A couple of years ago, I said, I, I hear this you know, buzzing and I smacked this thing. And sure enough, it was a mosquito. In about 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes, I killed four. Well, that tells me, oops, we have a mosquito problem here. And my dogs all got tested. I put them all on heart prevention. So it's something that we need to be aware of. So here's a story. Predictions for growing spread of parasitic born diseases. Prevalence of heartworm disease will be higher than average this year throughout the U.S., and Lyme disease, ehrlichiosis, anaplasmosis, which are all, by the way, uh, transmitted by tick bites, are going to become more widespread, driven by what we call geographic changes to mosquito and tick ranges. So, so what's happening is we are, because of our changes in climate, whatever, we are seeing more mosquitoes and ticks. And um, also human and wildlife interactions is a, is a biggie habitat changes, and of course, climate changes. So be aware, if you see mosquitoes, then your pets, your dogs should be on prevention. It's very easy. It's very inexpensive. And just so you know, most of the top, if not all, of the heartworm prevention medications, if you show that your dog started being heartworm negative, and you maintain the medications monthly, and should your dog come down with heartworm disease, despite all that, then uh, they will pay for your heartworm treatment. And it's expensive, a little dangerous too. So just so you know, there is a major advantage to staying up to date on heartworm prevention. So you should definitely think about that. And ticks, when you hike, if you, if you like to hike with your dogs, you're going, ticks carry more than diseases than the mosquitoes. The mosquitoes is heartworm. And of course you get bitten by them, you, you itch. But ticks, ticks are notorious for carrying a lot of rickettsial diseases that are very, very serious. So um, I'm sure you've heard of some, Lyme disease, right? Ehrlichiosis, anaplasmosis, these are all, and there are more rickettsial diseases carried by ticks. So be very, very careful about ticks. Here's also something I found interesting. Copper content in some commercial dog foods may be too high, causing signs of what we call copper toxicity. It's usually hepatic related uh, swelling, abdominal swelling, vomiting, diarrhea, lethargy, decreased appetite, increased thirst and urination. So Anyway, what's interesting is that there needs to be a certain low level of copper in foods, okay? And so, but unfortunately, when they, so they give the AFCO, the Association of American Feed Control officials, gives the minimum amount that should be there. So there obviously are some benefits to low levels of copper. But interestingly, they don't print or figure out, tell you how high, where you should stop. So some of these food companies are actually putting too much copper in these foods, and that's causing copper toxicity. So anyway, something to, uh, to keep in mind. It's funny, we talked about the dental offices and then the human offices having, having therapy. And, and uh, so here's a new one. So, and, and I like this. The Animal Society, it's the Humane Society in Maine, is pairing adoptable cats with various different businesses. So they basically, they, it's a great thing for the cats. It gives them shelter, food, some love and attention. But also from the other side, they feel it attracts customers. It can reduce stress among the employees etc. And it's not, you, you think, well, of course, I mean, hospital settings and nursing homes. No, it's also daycare facilities, obviously not for people, daycare facilities, they have those too, believe it or not, but you know, also warehouses, offices, just any kind of business. So how cool would it be? Unless of course you're highly allergic to cats. Uh, maybe, you know, one of my clients told me this, and I did not know this per se, but 
Siberian cats, they're beautiful long hair cats. Many of them are hypoallergenic. There's one client of mine had a magnificent Siberian. She said she's allergic. To, she knows when she walks into a house or a place, there's a cat. And this cat has, she has no problems with this cat. So I'm going to try to find out more about that. I, you know, did not, was not aware. I know that years ago, there was an, a group that was selling hypoallergenic cats. And who knows what they were said, what they said they were doing. They were taking cats that were less allergenic and they were breeding them with other cats that were less allergenic and slowly bringing down the, the what we call FELD1, F-E-L-D-1. That is the antigen that's in feline saliva. So when they groom themselves, it's in the dander, it's on their skin, it's in their mouth. And they were, they like basically said that that was the answer. Well, guess what? They were taking your money. There was nothing hypoallergenic about them. They have since disappeared from the face of the earth. So don't be fooled. However, um, I'm going to try to look in and find out more by Siberian cats, but that, that's really, really cool. And um, can heartworm medication, Deb, cause acid reflux? You know, that in of itself, I would say any medication could cause some regurge, acid regurge reflux in any particular animal. It doesn't mean that it's one of the things that you're going to find on the warning label. I don't think I, I mean, I've, my dogs have been on it. I'd say that any medication can cause it. I don't think heartworm medication is standing by itself. Why? Because the heartworm medication is chewable. A lot of the new flea and tick products we have, you know, the big four, isoxazolines, Cordelio and Brevecto and Semperica and Nexgard, they're all chewables. And um, I don't know if there's any hard and fast rule, but maybe if there is a problem right with Lev, then you should, what you should do is try a different brand. There's Interceptor, there's HeartGuard, there's Brevecto. I mean, excuse me, Semperica Trio, Cordelia Plus, and the Trio and the Plus, by the way, will take care of flea sticks and heartworm. So I, I would faster switch brands than to tell you, oh, no, don't give heartworm medication orally, because I have not seen that. Anyway, back to that, that story. So, so it's pretty cool that uh, we know. So yes, it relieves stress, but I have walked into business before, and it doesn't, whether it's a cat or a dog, I mean, well, as an animal person, I, I guess I'm drawn to it, but I think it's great. And to you know, sit there and you know, be greeted by a pet, and and you're getting to pet the pet while while you're um you know you're you're waiting for whatever. I think that's fantastic. Okay, I think I shared story um, with you. I know I shared it with my son Brandon, who runs AirVet, our telemedicine platform. That Hawaii, because of the severe veterinary shortage, has now eliminated the VCPR and allowing telemedicine docs, as long as they are licensed veterinarians, to provide advice and even call in prescribed medications for pets. And that is huge because of the people.com story that came out several weeks ago, that if this trend continues of veterinary shortage and this relatively small number of veterinary graduates every year, about 2,600, but between, you know, it's roughly 90 per class in their 30 schools. So, uh, so it's 2,600 plus. And the number of vets that retire or just leave the business for whatever reason, out of student debt, frustration, uh, you know, hey, compassion fatigue, it's hard. It's very hard that the average, by, by the year 2030, 75 million pets in North America will be going without access to care. That is really scary. So, so what we need to do is we need to say to our state legislatures, no, leave it up to the, if a veterinarian graduates vet school and passes their state exams and their national boards, I think they have enough of a sense to know what medications am I, is, am I comfortable giving to an animal that I haven't seen versus what I would not, even if you do see them, you still might have a take. So there's, there's, I mean, unless you're going to take a blood test on every animal, you don't really know. But there are medications that could help 
their standard, their go-to meds that won't hurt, even if it's the wrong choice. Okay. Those are the, what, that's what we're talking about. We need to give people an option because they can't get into a vet. There are no vets to get into, or the vets are not seeing clients until, you know, for three or four weeks out, or you get in, you adopt, you do something good. You adopt a new pet and you call vets in your neighborhood and they're not taking new clients. It's insane. I, I mean, I looked at my tomorrow schedule. I have an appointment, my, my first appointment, nine, and it's uh, one of my clients. My next five appointments, five are new clients. You know, I'd like to pat myself on the back. Oh, Jeff, they've heard about you. No, it's just that when they call, we say, no, we'll see you. And most places, oh, I'm sorry, no, I'm, no, we're, we're real full. We just can't take new clients. Well, they can't take new clients because they're working inefficiently. And I don't think they're doing a great job in how to handle the overload of potential pets that need help. So I do it, we do it. And so, you know, it is what it is. So uh, here's what bothered me. Here's the story. And, and uh, I mean, I, for those of you in Michigan, I applaud your state legislature, and I really want to just let the, the state VMA, Veterinary Medical Association, have it. Here it is. The idiots, Michigan Veterinary Medical Association, opposing a state bill allowing veterinarians to prescribe remotely without a VCPR. That's a veterinary client-patient relationship. All right. So they're afraid. Listen, it starts, it's going to cause the harm and affect the food supply. I guess that it comes to large animal veterinarians. I said, are you guys nuts? What do you, you think that it's not going to some novice who's an antrophone. You're talking to live veterinarians. They know what questions to ask. We know what it looks like. We get to see it. It's on, you know, on telemedicine. I see what the ears look like. I see what the, what the skin looks like. If I put them on a a, a basic skin antibiotic, the cephalexin, right? It's not going to hurt anything. As long as you, you follow the course, you explain to them. Now, if I have an eye conjunctivitis, that's an eye irritation. And I don't know, because I haven't been able to stay in the eye, I'm doing it remotely, whether or not there's a corneal problem. And just so you know, with if there's a corneal insult, whether it's an erosion, a scratch, an ulcer, you cannot, you do not want to use steroids in the preparation. However, steroids are great for just decreasing the inflammation from conjunctivitis. Well, if I can stay in the eye and the eye stain is negative, I can go with the steroids. If it's positive, I have to treat the ulcer first and then maybe. So if I can't do or see that, I, I won't prescribe steroids at the get-go, the get but it won't hurt to get them on an antibiotic solution or an ointment, at least get something started, at least provide some relief and then until they can see their doctor. And so for, for these organizations to say, oh, no, we don't want to have to be. I think veterinarians are afraid that they're going to lose business to telemedicine. And what I'm trying to teach them is, no, you're going to gain business because we can't touch and feel. And if we, we, we can only do good suggestions to the beginning, but we are going to get you to at least some help, but tell you, you need to see your vet. So veterinarians are going to win through telemedicine. They're not going to lose. Anyway, um, when we come back, we have a few more things to talk about. And then um, any questions I'm going to go through. And I know Hopscotch had starting a problem. So we are going to uh, uh, talk about that as well. And again, here's a perfect example. The Hopscotch is my client, is my patient, so I can prescribed because I have a VCPR, but still without seeing it, we're going to talk about it when we come back, you'll do what I mean. So anyway, don't go away. Back after these words. And Dr. Damien, hi, one of of the best docs I know. Don't go away. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. 
With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. And welcome back. You're live with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff. And, of course, here on my Instagram, uh, looking for questions. We just answered a question about a dog who is a bit overly zealously running uh, with a bunch of other doodles at a park for an hour and a half. Well, I well, I play basketball. I'm on the court for a half hour, and I'm feeling sore afterwards. So I can imagine an hour and a half is going to be um, – it could be just muscle soreness. So we talked about some things you could do. And one of the things we, you know, we talked about, sort of a good segue into what we can prescribe when we, have, we don't have a relationship, we haven't really – seen or know what the, what the story of an animal is. When it comes to non-steroidals, I mean, there are some issues um, with uh, liver kidneys, you know, that new Galaprant drug, which is very good, safer for animals with, with kidney and liver disease. But these non-steroidals can affect that. So if you already have a dog who's somewhat compromised, already has a liver issue, and you give them too much non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, that can be dangerous. So these are some things we have to know. And as we hopefully improve access to what animals are doing, there's something called PIMS, and that is the information system that the hospital's software have to allow us, meaning a remote doctor or their own doctor, to access things like a blood test. So if we can get into the PIMS as we are working with companies to allowing us to do that, then, and many of the telemedicine companies are doing the same, then I can look and see what this dog's status was or is when it comes to medications. Are the, is the liver okay? Are the kidneys fine? And if they are, that gives me a little bit more leeway to prescribe something without actually having seen the dog. However, if there are issues, we may not be able to, not because we can't uh, as far as the legality, it's because it's not. it wouldn't be a wise medical decision without having more information about that pet before we prescribe certain things. So as our access to records improves, which is what we're all working on, then we are going to be able to, um, to actually do a better job. But in the meantime, don't run into your medic- medicine cabinet and start picking meds without talking to your veterinarian or a veterinarian. As I said, many of the non-steroidal anti-inflammatories are not very, not only not helpful, they can be dangerous. So you want to make sure that you are going to choose something that is safe before you just jump at any kind of medication. Now, Boy, these are all linking together because my next story is about arthritis. And it's, it's estimated that over 20% of adult dogs will have arthritis, osteoarthritis. And, um, and that's North America. So it's, it's, a, it's a high number. So there's no cure for arth- uh, osteoarthritis. There are many things that can be done. There is you know, stem cells work. I've been using PRP, platelet-rich plasma. That seems to help a lot as well. But it's a combination of different therapeutics and, of course, different medications that we just discussed. So there's some good medications out there. Uh, physical therapy, low-impact exercise, weight loss. Because when you think about, think of this statistic. If over 20% of dogs, adult dogs in North America, all right, have osteoarthritis, and about 55% of dogs in, in North 
in the U.S. for sure, are overweight or obese. So there's a really good chance that those dogs with osteoarthritis are also overweight. So that is one of the worst things you can have for a dog with arthritis, for a person with arthritis. You got to get them on weight loss. You got to lean them down because you have a vicious cycle. A, they're overweight. They don't want to do anything because they're, they're too heavy. B, they have arthritis. So it hurts. So what happens? Now they're not exercising as much because they, it hurts and because they're overweight. So what happens to them? They get even more overweight. It's a vicious cycle. So we got to get in there. We got to get them to lose weight, get them feeling better. And then hopefully what's going to happen is as they feel better, as they've lost their weight, they're going to be more inclined to do the exercise they need to do. So um, that's very important. So there are, unlike, like, for example, let's take a German Shepherd, for example, and the propensity towards osteoarthritis, they can also get um, older German Shepherds, something called DM, degenerative myelopathy. Unfortunately, that is not something that can be treated. So it's, it's one of those things. There are going to be some diseases that you just can't treat. Uh, it's a bummer. And DM is one of them. I had a client once that she was reading and went online and oh, all these things. She must have spent several thousand dollars on supplements on this and that and the other and medications and was going to stop the myelopathy. Guess what? Didn't touch it. Uh, we ended up having to put that dog to sleep. So it's one of those things. And uh, oh, this was also an interesting story. And when you think about it, it makes so much common sense. All right. And that is that it's how inconsistent human behavior can put wildlife at risk. And so what does that mean? So as I read the article, you have a different categories of people. Now you have the ones that many of us don't like, and those are the hunters and the poachers, okay? They are, of course, at risk, danger to the dogs. So what happens, I mean, to the wildlife? So then what happens? We have those that are observers. They're there, but they don't reach out. They don't hurt. They don't make sounds. They're quiet. It's like, I'm sure you've been on a safari. When you've been on a safari, they always tell you no sound, no rapid movements. Just keep it really quiet. You're in those open trucks. And so what happens is then they get used to us. And then worse yet, they're the ones that start feeding them. So now the wildlife they're coming in, they're getting food, they see people, they, now they're starting to associate people with, oh, good treats, good food. So now think about it. From their perspective, they don't know which is which. Two of the three are not a threat. Not, one of them is actually a good thing. So they're more likely to come to you. And what happens when you have a hunter or a poacher? So by having them get really comfortable with people and our behavior, if they happen to encounter that wrong group, that first group, then that's very dangerous. I think that was the brunt of the story. So I don't know the solution. Well, the solution is we got to stop these poachers. But getting them to come up to you and be too comfortable with you is probably not a good idea. And which is why they always say, you know, keep your hands in, don't offer food. Whenever you go to places like this, they said they don't want you, not just that what you may be giving them could be harmful, that could be dangerous, that may not work well with their digestive system because they get their set diets. But if they get too comfortable around you, that could be a problem. And the next one was a story about animal charities. And you see these commercials on TV, and they are heartwarming. And you feel, oh, God, you want to reach in your pocket, and you want to donate. And you read the article, you see the pictures online, and you want to donate. And just so you know, a lot of those are big-time scams. So, so how do you protect yourself from these animal scams? First of all, you want to ensure that it is a legitimate charity. Look them up. Make sure that, that they're, they're there. Make sure they uh, look for their, their ID, their federal tax ID number. Maybe they're a 501c3. Make sure they're a nonprofit, okay? So do a little bit of your homework. And also, 
when you are, you know, check their website. They have a legitimate website. If others have comment to try to reach out to them as well and to find out, you know, is this true? And then uh, also, I guess that's really important, is don't donate through an intermediary. So they want money, but that's going to something that a different email or a different place that's not the address at the charity, then don't do it. If you're going to donate, you want to donate directly to the charity that you think you're giving money and then you're not getting anything. There's no receipts. It's not a 501c3. It's not a, it's not a charity. It's not a nonprofit. And your money's gone and you have no way to get it back. So those are the suggestions that coming from some of the experts, again, that check them out, make sure they're legit, check their federal ID or a 51c3 number so you, you know that it's nonprofit, and uh, go to their website and do not donate through an intermediary. You make sure you donate directly to the charity. So uh, thanks for joining me here today on Pet Life Radio. Those of you who uh, would like me to talk about any subject matter, you can always get a hold of me at drjeff at petliferadio.com. Uh, you can also reach me if you have any pet questions. You can go to AirVet and um, at Jeff at AirVet.com. And if you want to sign up for AirVet to have access to 24-7 care, uh, you can do so. Just reach out to me at Jeff at AirVet.com, and I will go through the process, how easy it is to sign up and have that live access 24-7. Otherwise, I will be, Mark, seeing you, I guess, Wednesday at, in Orlando. Uh, Thursday, whatever. And um, other than that, we will be back here next week. Same bad time, same bad channel here on Pet Life Radio, here on Instagram Live uh, with my show. And if there any for IG, uh, if there's any subject matter, something you're going through with your pet, something that you're not sure about, a big decision that, that has to be made, I just help. In fact, we should probably talk about it next week about when to remove and biopsy a mass and when to do cytology, when to test the mass first. And uh, I have my own personal feeling about that. And as I said, I am not a master of academic medicine. I'm a master of practical medicine. And I disagree with some of the specialists out there. And I'll tell you why. So you'll hear the, the pros and cons. And you say, you know something? That Werber guy, I like this approach better. So anyway, back uh, next week. And have a great week, everybody. Enjoy your lovely Sunday. And um, have a great day and a great week. Bye-bye. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.